So they say, whoever they are, the experts, say that a public speaker makes or breaks his or her communication in the first 30 seconds. So if this is a bad sermon, I blame you guys because you took my first 30 seconds, so it's on you. (laughs) I'm kidding. I actually don't like that stat as it relates to preaching. I think it's probably true for public communication in general, but when we gather together as the church of God, we have the Holy Spirit present among us. So I can just totally fail for the first 30 seconds, and God might do something incredible among us. Amen? You and your interactions with each other, coming through the building, grabbing coffee, spilling coffee, losing a kid, who knows what happened to you on your way in, could totally have been a fail. And God can still meet you here and do something supernatural in and through you that you could never do on your own. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I know Danielle already prayed. Thank you, Danielle. But uh, let's continue to ask God to be present among us this morning. Lord Jesus... Our days and our weeks are so full of our own thoughts, our own agendas, our own opinions. Lord, I thank you for this time and space to pause. And I pray that you would overwhelm us this morning with your thoughts, with your words with your opinions, with your agenda. Lord, you might have a different agenda for each one of us here this morning. And so we open up our hands. Would you open up your hands with me in a posture of releasing our expectations, our agendas to you? And then we ask that your will be done in this gathering as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to grab a Bible and stand and open up to John chapter 15. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you don't have it on your phone or don't have your own paper copy with you. Open up a Bible and look at John chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25 this morning. John 15, 18 through 25. What we're going to look at this morning are some words of Jesus in the, in the midst of a long conversation. John 13 through 17 is one long conversation that he's having with his followers, preparing them for his death and departure. And this morning, we're going to zero in on this little soundbite from this long conversation. As I continue to encourage you to read John 13 through 17, read John 13 through 17, read John 13 through 17 on your own in preparation for this. And if you haven't done that, I think God will meet us here in this soundbite anyway. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they will have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. 
but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Lord, speak to us through this word, we pray. You may have a seat. I don't know if you've ever had an example or if you have examples of being in something but not of something. This last week, I took my youngest daughter, Oakley, to piano lessons, and she does this group piano lesson thing now, which I wasn't fully prepared for. I had heard from my wife that she had transitioned her piano times to being a group piano lesson, so I assumed that she would just go in with a group of other kids, and then I would get to sit on a couch on my phone and be ignored for the next half an hour, right, and do my own thing. Well, I get to the place that she has piano lessons, and and I'm ushered in, and apparently this is the type of group piano lessons where the parents sit there with the kid, and they're involved, and they have to pay attention, and this was triggering for me. See, I hate group settings and lessons where I'm being taught things. I actually quit all musical instruments because of a group lesson. I was sitting in a group lesson once, and I remember feeling so anxious because the, the notes on the page and just the way that, the, the way that you're, you have to be wired to like read music and learn music and just know how to do music in the way that I'm wired, they like collide with each other. So I remember as a, as a kid sitting in a group guitar lessons, felt so much anxiety that I left the room and never went back. That was, the, it, that was it for my guitar playing. Also, I can't sing, so those match really well together. Um, so I, I, so I go into this group lesson and I'm sitting there and I'm just like instantly, I'm like, what is going on in me? Like, I feel hot. I feel sweaty. I feel anxious. I'm sitting with other moms and their little girls and they're all like smiling and, you know, participating. I'm like deer in the headlights. And and I'm just terrified that the teacher is going to ask me a question. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not paying attention. I'm just like, I might be looking at you. I have no idea what you're saying. Piano keys, I don't know. Like, I'm looking for my car keys. I I have no idea what's going on here. I was in the group lesson, but not a part of it. I felt this way a lot growing up, actually, if you can't tell. Like, in school, in a classroom setting, I'm like, yeah, I'm in the classroom, but I'm not made of the school mold. Like, I so struggle to be in this space. I'm physically here, but mentally, emotionally, I am somewhere else. I am not a part of this. Maybe you have an experience like that. Maybe you've been on a team, but you haven't really felt a part of the team. Maybe you're here in this room right now. Like, yeah, I'm in the church, but I'm not of those weirdos. Right? I don't know what it is for you. Think about a, think about a setting that it is for you where, you where you can identify with this. Yeah, I remember being in something, but man, I sure did not feel like I belonged. I shouldn't feel like a part of it. In a way, that's what Jesus is telling us this morning. Jesus is teaching that we, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we're in the world, but not of the world. And because of this already not yet reality, we will experience tensions which we should work to recognize and to embrace. We talk a lot as Christians about being in the world, but not of the world. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard that phrase. Some of you really like it. It's like a good, helpful grid. Others are like, man, that phrase, it caused my church, my community, my people to be very separatistic and judgmental. Like they felt like they were better than other people because while they weren't participating in that, I don't know what your experience is with that phrase, but it's very similar to what Jesus is saying here this morning. Look at verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And that word love there, it's phileia. It means friendly. So we've been talking 
as we go through John 13 through 17, the word love is used a lot. Jesus uses the Greek word agape love for how he loves us and how we in turn love him and others. This is a self-sacrificial love. It's not an emotional love or a sentimental love. It's a laying your life down for another type of love. But the love here, if you were of the world, you would the, the world would love you as its own. It's like they would be friendly with you if you had the same value system as the world. If you weren't just in the world, but you, if you were of them, if you valued the same things, thought the same things, they, they would love you. But because you're not of the world, right? But because you are not of the world, Jesus says in verse 19, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It disdains you. You, you don't belong There's this already not yet tension that we experience. The Christian life is full of tension because we are citizens of a different kingdom. We're not citizens of this world. And so we experience this tension, and I think what we need to do is spend some time recognizing and embracing these tensions. See, unmet expectations creates frustration. I think sometimes Christians and and well-meaning pastors and churches and environments, we we don't do a great job of pointing out the tensions, recognizing the tensions, and embracing the tensions that exist in the Christian life. We make everything black and white, when in reality there's a lot of gray. Well, and... And as we're going to see as we go, there is black and white in Scripture that you have to hold together. And what happens when you hold black and white together? Oh, right? So there's this tension that exists in our lives as we seek to follow Jesus and do life in his way rather than the way of the world. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to do kind of a mini-series in this little section of Scripture, John chapter 15, verses 18 through the end of chapter 16. And there's nine different tensions that Jesus is going to illuminate for us in this text. There's actually more, and it's hard. Once I like, have this lens for reading this text, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's like 17 different tensions. I'm going to try to narrow it down to nine, do three each week for us. And I think Jesus is bringing these tensions up to help his followers embrace the reality of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world so that we're not perpetually frustrated, so that we're not perpetually anxious, so that we're not perpetually judgmental because we're comparing different groups or what it means to be in, what it looks like to be in. The reality is we are in the kingdom of God. We are not a part of the kingdom of this world. We live in this world, but we're not citizens. And so this creates an extreme tension. And that first tension is just this big umbrella of the in but not, in but not of Tension. I've already talked about that. Look at verse 18 and 19 again. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. What happened to Jesus the next day after this conversation? Somebody tell me. He was crucified. So if the person that we follow, I love, I'm, I love hardcore music. There's this song that says, if your hero was a martyr, shouldn't you be the same? Isn't it fascinating that sometimes we, we think we're entitled to comfort and security and protection and being loved and having all of our needs met? When Jesus says right here, if the world hates you, if they despise you, if they, if they push you away and reject you, it has hated me before it hated you. 
Why do we think that we will get a different treatment, a better treatment, a different outcome than the very person who we're following? He says, if you were of this world, so if you, you belonged to this world, if you weren't only in the world, but if you belonged to the world, if, if you made your citizenship here on earth, regardless of whatever country you're from, if you, or culture, or family background, family of origin, like if you found your identity in this world and set your mind to fit in and to belong, this world would love you. It would be friendly with you. It would say, yeah, we have some common interests and affinities, and, and you're just like us. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own because you would have the same operating system, the same value system. But because you are not of the world, your citizenship is not here because I chose you out of the world. I've given you a different identity, a different name, a different value system, a different operating system. Therefore, the world hates you, doesn't understand why you value what you value, why you don't value the things that you don't value, why it doesn't add up, why it doesn't match. And to understand this, let's go back to John chapter 3. And see what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus. If you weren't here months ago when we went through John chapter 3, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader who's very interested in Jesus, but all of his friends and his religious institution is very skeptical of Jesus. Ever experienced something like that where you're like, I'm really interested in this, but all the people who know me well and I do life with and I actually care about their approval, they, they, they're not interested. In fact, they would ridicule me if they knew that I was interested in that thing. This is, what, this is Nicodemus. And so he comes to Jesus at night. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, that's the reality of following Jesus. We're not just following Jesus like as apprentices where it's like, well, he's a master, we need to do what he, he does. That is part of following Jesus. We are disciples, we are apprentices, we are followers. But salvation, like when we surrender our life to Jesus... We confess our sins, admit with our mouth that he is Lord. We receive him as Lord and King in our life. We're born again. We're given a new birth, a new identity. Our identity is now as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of one another, neighbors and witnesses to the world. Not people who belong to the world, not people who fight with others, not people who have enmity with God. We are sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of one another and neighbors and witnesses to the world. This is this born-again reality. Yes, you are a living, breathing being here on earth, but you belong to the kingdom of God. You've been born again. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he climb? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I added the word climb there. Climb back up into his mother's womb. It's an odd imagery. And Nicodemus is just like, what, what do you mean, Jesus? There's no second physical birth. And Jesus doesn't mean a second physical birth. He means a rebirth where our loves, our values are reoriented to the kingdom of God. That we would love God and others and that we would live within the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms 
of this earth. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Like he says in John chapter 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you. If you were of the flesh, those who are of the flesh would love you. But because you're the, of the Spirit, you have a different mode of operating. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's this new birth. This is what it means for us to be in, but not of the world. If you find yourself cozying up to the world and to the things of the world, maybe you've never been born again. So it'd be an invitation for you to say, God, I, I want to receive your spirit. I want to trust in your son. I want the new birth. Give me the new birth. If you have been born again, as a reminder, focus on your new birth. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a son or a daughter of God, not the world. Not even your family of origin. Like if, if you're in a stage of life where you're like wrestling with your family of origin, be reminded, church family, your ultimate primary identity is as a son or daughter of God. Find your identity there. This is this tension we're in but not of the world. Think of the relational tensions that you experience in life. How many of them exist because, yeah, that's right, I'm, I'm living in this world, I'm living in this family, I'm living in this church, I'm going to this place of work, I'm living in this neighborhood, but I'm not of it. There's going to be some tension there. And if we're not careful to recognize and embrace the tension, we might be either swept into living like the world or swept into thinking that it's our mission to change the world to live like Jesus without introducing them to Jesus. Big difference. You can only live free of the attachments and the love of the world if you have a new attachment and a new love, which is part of what Jesus has been saying in this passage. Another passage that helps kind of bring some light for, for us on this is John 17. Flip over to John 17 with me. It's in the same conversation. Later on in this conversation, remember I said it's tricky to do sermons on sound bites, and so while we're doing kind of sound bites, like small digestible sections of Jesus's Conversation here in John 13 through 17, we need to get more context so we understand. John 17, there's some beautiful context here. John 17, verse 14 through 19, Jesus says, I have given them your word, and Jesus here is praying directly to God the Father here. I have given them your word, God. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Just as I am not of the world. It's fascinating that all Jesus did was heal and love. And because he wasn't of the world, because his operating system was an upside-down one of the world, because the world cared about power and prestige and, and, and like here and now kingdom ethics, and Jesus didn't care about power, he didn't care about prestige, he didn't care about here and now, like, like he cared about the kingdom of God here and now, not the kingdoms of earth. So all he did was love and serve and heal. And it says, and the world hated me. And this is proven in his crucifixion. Because he didn't play by the world system, by the world's rules. 
just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus didn't say, remove us or pluck us out of the world. Go build a commune out west, right? Isolate, create this holy huddle where the world can't affect you. That's not what the church is. Some churches become that. Lord, protect us from becoming that. We don't want to be a holy huddle. This is, this is the tension, right? We feel the tension of, I live in the world, but I'm not supposed to be of the world, and so, uh, therefore, I need to remove myself from the temptation of the world. That's what some people do, as if our mind and our heart isn't sick in and of, in and of itself. And so, Jesus is, is he's praying for us here. I do not ask, verse 15, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're in, but not of. God, would you protect them? Protect their minds, protect their hearts, protect their bodies. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. That means make them more like Jesus. Set us apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Don't isolate. Don't run in fear. Church family, the Holy Spirit, through the prayer of Jesus and the gifting of Jesus, is in you, and he calls us to go into the world as our mission field, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to to feel the tension that I'm here, I'm in this neighborhood, I'm in this place of work, I'm in this situation, and I'm here to love. I'm here to lay down my life like Jesus. I'm here to experience hatred if that's what it takes. And in the midst of hatred, I'm going to love Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Send them into the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. What an amazing prayer from Jesus for you today. Amen? That's Jesus' heart for you. Like as you go, as you're tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and then as you experience the hatred of the world and the disdain of the world, and the sometimes it's hatred, sometimes it's disdain, sometimes it's like Minnesota nice, passive-aggressive. Like, oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. You really think that about sexuality? Hmm. Sometimes, like, you think that about sexuality, you're a bigot. It comes out in all kinds of different ways. Sexuality is one example. Take bunch of others. Jesus prepares us for this. This is the tension. You're in the world, but not of the world. Don't expect that the world's going to love you. I like what he says. Well, I don't like what he says. I think it's helpful, though. James, uh, James chapter 4, verse 10, 12, uh, page 10, 12, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I don't like what he says because it's true of me. James writes, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. If you've been here the last couple weeks, keep in mind how often Jesus has said, like, a fruit of love and obedience to him is answered prayer. It's because our prayer aligns with his prayer. And here, James is saying that, well, if you're not getting what you're praying for, it's probably because you are totally unaware of what God would want you to pray for and ask for. Verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship, and again, this is, this is phileo, love, with the world is enmity with God. 
This is what Jesus means, to be in the world but not of the world. Love of the world, friendship with the world, conforming to the operating system of the world, means that you have friction, enmity with God. You can't be of the world and at the same time say, I'm of God. This tension is either that the kingdom ethic of God is consistently pressing against our worldly desires, our fleshly desires, the desires of the eyes, the pride of the flesh, and the lust of life. That, that's the tension, right? And, and it erases tension if we just give in. Well, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It erases <laughs> it erases some of the fight up front. But anyone who's ever given in to the desires of the flesh and has the Holy Spirit of God and the conviction of God and they know that we are not of this world feels the destruction of the pride of life, the, the, the desires of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And so Jesus, in his goodness, he's warning us, be aware of this tension. Don't be unaware he doesn't want us to live ignorantly in this world, but say, yeah, what I want of you and what I call you to, what I want for you. And I think I'm, I'm trying to change my own narrative some in this. Like so often we say, well, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? He wants my obedience. And what does God want for you? He wants your flourishing. How do you flourish? How do I flourish? By living as though I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. By living out my new birth. This is how we flourish. That's what God wants for us. He wants our best. That's why he gave us ways to live so that we would flourish. One more passage that I think helps us to understand the in but not of tension. 1 John chapter five, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. There's a ton of passages here. I just grabbed a couple to help us uh, see some other texts. 1 John, again, the, the, the author of 1 John is the same John that's the author of the gospel according to John. This is a letter he writes to the church near the end of his life. The gospel of John is a compiling of Jesus' words and teachings that John compiled. So here in his letter to the church, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's fascinating. Years later, right, after listening to Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15, John has reflected on this. He understands what Jesus meant by saying, if the world, if, if you're not of the world, the world's going to hate you. If you are of the world, the world's going to love you. He says, do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot agape the world and agape God. You cannot phileo the world and phileo God. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So much similar language to John chapters 13 through 17. And so Jesus here is warning us, flip back to John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Christian, be aware. Be mindful. Recognize and embrace the tensions that you are going to feel if you decide to live for the kingdom of God here and now among the kingdoms of earth. Jesus will actually tell us another place in the gospel. He says, count the cost. Count the cost. There's going to be increased tension upon you. 
Some of you may have thought following Jesus was going to eliminate tensions and make, might, make life easier, and all that you've experienced is that actually there's some increased challenges and tensions that I now face because I live here in this world, but I cannot adopt or embrace the systems of the world. Be aware of that. Whatever captures our heart will control our behavior, right? I've said this over the last couple of weeks. Jesus is teaching love and obedience, and, and how do the two of those work? This is one of the main tensions that we experience in life, is being in the world and not of the world, and, and how does love and obedience work together? And we're saved by faith, not works, yet works Yet faith without works is dead. This, this is because you live in the world, but not of the world. We're learning to be spiritual beings here in the natural life. Be aware of the tension. Pay attention to the tension. The next tension here, and I kind of already touched on it, but I, Jesus is bringing out this big tension that you and I will live with between love and hate, the love and hate tension. John 13 through 17, this entire conversation, Jesus is calling his followers to love God and to love others, to serve others in a way that Jesus served others, to love the world selflessly, to love the brothers and sisters in Christ selflessly. This is his whole point. And really, as we go through the next couple of weeks and think about all these tensions, I think you could think about it as like a this and that reality. I almost titled the sermon series, This and That. I decided to go within but not of, but, but another helpful way to think about it is this and that, right? Jesus is saying, you are loved by God and you will go love others and you're going to be hated. And that does not square in our minds, right? Don't we, don't we often just think? Like, and, and we know this isn't true, but it's good to be reminded of it, to recognize it and to embrace it. Because we often think, well, if I love other people, they're going to love me in return. I was nice. Karma, right? Actually, there's a worldview out there that would teach you that. You get what you give. And Jesus is warning us here, no, you're going to love just like me. All I did was love people and heal people. And what did they do? They crucified me. And so, Christian, you, you can't expect it much different. Your good works will be responded to with disdain. Who knows how that will come out, but... Be prepared for it. Be prepared. This is what John is, well, Jesus is teaching us that John is recording us, recording for us in John 13 through 17. Loving and being hated for it creates tension, right? It creates emotional distress. It's one of the things that we don't talk about too often in the church, and we should start talking about more often, emotional distress, we are emotional beings. We are spiritual beings. We are physical beings. We are mental beings. And when you give something to someone else or when you sacrifice for someone else and that's not returned, that creates emotional distress. Every human being feels it. And as Christians, we should be aware that because we live in this tension, this in but not of world reality, when we love, we will be hated for it. And hated might seem like a really strong word for those of us who who, who know many people who aren't believers, and it doesn't feel like they hate or disdain us. And, and they may not. Like, I know a lot of non-Christians that I'm like, I don't, they don't seem to hate me. In fact, they, they seem to really love me well. And so I have to think through, well, am I, am I conforming to the patterns of this world? Is that why they love me? Or are they just, you know, 
all people are complex and they're really good friends and, and they have a little bit more open mind. And it, right? Like, think that through. Think that through. Jesus' call here is specifically, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, about some of the extreme examples of hatred and persecution, which is coming in just a minute. He's going to warn us about that. But I think part of the tension that we feel here in America is oftentimes like, there, there might be growing pushback against the Christian biblical ethic. But for a long time, the Christian biblical ethic has been one of the dominant players in America. And so we, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Before we get to that, um, I, I do just want us to recognize that the love and hate tension creates emotional distress. Think of examples of how when you love someone well, you do something good for someone that's not received. That, that creates frustration in you. Why does it create frustration? Because an ex- expectation would be, well, if I love, I should be loved in return. And Jesus is saying, <laughs> careful with that idea. Even in your marriage, even with your parents, even with your kids, e- like good acts for someone else, sacrificial love for someone else doesn't always return in sacrificial love back and good acts back. And Jesus is like, I want to release some emotional distress for you. What did you think? Like he's told us about it here. You can love others and be hated by others, be disdained by others, be neglected by others, be ignored by others, feel lonely and hurt by others, but not by me, not by Jesus, not by God, not as you bathe in his love through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So we we feel this. It's because the value systems of the world are different and contrary. They're in a head-on collision with the value systems of the kingdom of God. So we should expect to not operate well at all times in the world. In fact, Jesus is even more extreme than that. Like, that's my Minnesota passive-aggressive niceness. Jesus is like, yeah, be prepared for hatred. Be prepared for persecution. Be prepared for ridicule. Our love will be responded to by hate. Look at John chapter 3. Another passage to give it some more context. Jesus has already said this in this book months ago when we were in John chapter 3. In the same conversation he has with Nicodemus. John chapter 3 verse 16 is well known for God so loved the world. Love, agape, the world that he gave his only son. He took acts. He acted towards us. But look at verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so as we try to live under conviction and leading of the Holy Spirit, as we try to live out the good ways and the ethics of Jesus for our own flourishing, it's going to expose in other people. And actually it's going to expose in us. And it's going to expose in one another that that sometimes we just love the dark. We want to live in the dark. We want to give in to the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, as 1 John chapter 2 said. And when a group of people or an individual lives counterculture to the world, in the world, but not of the world, this is where some of the hatred comes because it, bring, it can bring hatred, right? To those who are pushing back against God, it's going to bring hatred and disdain because it exposes the darkness. It's like when you flip on a light in a dark room, like, right, the, ah, turn it off. That's what a holy people living in an unholy world, sometimes it's received, it's like, get out of here with your morality, 
But sometimes it's like, oh, the initial shock, and it's like, oh, actually, I, I want the light. And so God can use this in an evangelistic way for people to come into his kingdom. But the reaction will be different, and Jesus is preparing us for this reality that the world loves the darkness. That's why it hates the light. It pushes the light out. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14. It's on page 829 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. Another sermon of Jesus. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. In the world, but not of the world. Jesus is calling us to love the world, love the world, like love the people of the world, not love the system of the world, right? The cosmos, the, like the, the spirit of the age. That's what Jesus means by not loving the world. He's not saying don't love the people of the world. He's saying don't love the systems and the ideologies and the worldview of the world. He's saying they, if, if you don't love the world, if you live in the kingdom of God, the world will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And this, this was true for the disciples, Many of them martyred for their faith, for loving God and loving others. It says, they will put you up to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Keep that phrase in mind. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is how some people who, 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 are, part of, who, who are a part of the church or, or seem like they're walking with Jesus eventually walk away and they become haters of God and others and all they can do is throw stones at the bride of Christ and tear apart the bride of Christ. He's saying, because when, when, it, when, when trials come, when comfort is removed, when power is removed, when prestige is removed, some will fall away. Some are only Christian in name because of the social benefit that it has given over years or because of the social pressure or just the social norm that being a Christian, that having in God we trust on our money creates, some people will fall away and they will actually become enemies of God and the church upon persecution and pressure. This is what Jesus is warning us of. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Be careful about what you're hearing on news and podcasts. And I'm, I'm not saying put your head in the sand and don't listen. Be careful. Be discerning. When power and prestige and prominence are stripped, all kinds of weird, thing hap weird things happen. Jesus is warning us, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, quick word on this word lawlessness. This doesn't mean American law and order. This means having no rule of God's ethic to love God and love others upon your heart. That's what it means. So some false teachers and some false prophets right now in America will say, look at lawlessness is being stripped away. We, got it. We, we need more law and order. We need more American law and order. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. He doesn't have America in mind here. He has human beings who live in America in mind. He doesn't have the American political and governmental systems in mind. So just be careful. This word lawlessness it does not mean American law and order. I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about that. And don't be tied to it. You live in the world, but not of the world. You live in America, not of America. Amen? This lawlessness, really, it means the law of love. So Jesus is saying that these false prophets will come, and because lawlessness will increase, a lack of love for God and others will increase, 
the love of many will grow cold. People will all, start to sh- all of a sudden start showing their allegiance to political systems and world ideologies rather than to people. Is that happening? Yes, I'm not a prophet. It's just look around. And Jesus warned us about this 2,000 years ago. Don't separate with your friends and your families and your churches over, over like worldly citizenship arguments. You're citizens of heaven. You're in the world. You're not of the world. You can care about how politics affect your neighborhood, but don't start hating your neighbors and the politicians who affect your neighborhood. That's what, what the world does. They hate Christians, right? Christians don't return hate. Jesus is warning us. And verse 14, uh, of 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The, the one who remains in the world, but not of the world, and doesn't adopt the world's systems and the world's ideologies will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. And this is why we send out missionaries across the street and across the ocean to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Amen? So that the world would hear and know that God is good. And flip back to John chapter 15 as we kind of close down this idea of what it means to love and hate, to embrace this tension. Again, in verse 20, Jesus says it very clearly. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, will they also persecute you? If they persecuted me, will they also persecute you? We've had it incredibly good as followers of Jesus here in America for so many years. Praise the God for that. Praise God for that, that we can actually gather together publicly and openly and worship Jesus. Right now, we have a supported missionary in an Asian country that they can't publicize that they are gathering to worship Jesus, and they live with daily fear of the government officials breaking in and disbanding their church and throwing them in prison. I just got a newsletter update from them this last week. Some of their friends were thrown in jail recently for for loving God and loving others. Jesus says, what did you expect? Like the freedom to worship is not an expectation. It's not a right. It's a privilege and something that we probably honestly shouldn't expect. Like, praise God for it. Thank you, Lord, for it. But don't find your identity and hope in it. You're in the world, not of the world. Jesus warned us the world's going to hate you. There's, There's churches all around the world that are hiding in fear of being displaced and thrown in prison and even martyred for their faith. And here's what I want you to hear, church family, that in those countries, oftentimes the kingdom of God grows more quickly and more rapidly as a result of the underground persecuted hidden church than it does here in America as a result of massive churches without persecution. And so don't don't believe the lie that if the system of the world, the politicians of the world, the governments of the world take your freedom to worship, that the church will die and be extinct. That's just categorically and historically not true. When the world takes the right to worship Jesus publicly away, God in his goodness and the power of his Holy Spirit historically has actually, the the kingdom of God has grown. So, So don't be worried about it. 
This is a tension we're going to face. Jesus says, what do you expect? Persecution will come. And it seems that maybe some collision for American Christianity is being increased, and we'll see what happens there. Here's what I want to say. I think you can fight for America if you want, but not in the name of Jesus. I think you can be a patriot if you want, but not in the name of Jesus. And I mean that. We should be prepared to suffer for Jesus' name, not America's name. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24? They will suffer in my name. Isn't that what he goes on to say here? Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Look at verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. And this is a prophecy from the Old Testament. They hated me without cause. Jesus was crucified and hated because of his love, not because of his trying to enforce some morality upon the people. Right? And my fear is that sometimes, and it's not even a fear, I've seen this, I've heard this, I, like, I feel it in my own self in different ways as well. Sometimes we use Jesus' name to try and protect our comforts, our idols. We don't want to suffer. How can we make it sound godly to not suffer? We don't want to be persecuted. How can we make it sound godly to not be persecuted? We think like the 300 or however many categories for genders there are is just weird. How do we use Jesus to make us sound right? So we need to be very careful. We're in the world, but not of the world. There's some tension here, and so we should be prepared to suffer for Jesus' name, not necessarily America's name. We should be prepared to suffer for Jesus' name, not a whole list of moralities. Jesus' word has ethics. It has morals for our flourishing. But it starts with Jesus. And so I want to ask the question, are, are you suffering? Are you being persecuted for Jesus' name or for all the things that come after Jesus and, and maybe don't even need to be addressed here and now? We need to be willing and ready to suffer for Jesus' name, not a political candidate. Amen? Political season is upon us. Lord, come quickly. Suffer for Jesus' name, not the kingdom of America or whatever, fill in the blank. This is a huge tension that we in America need to be aware of and ready for. This is an already not yet kingdom that we live in. It creates tension. We have to recognize and embrace it. And then lastly, as we close up this morning, the last tension here is Jesus' master and friend. Look at verse 20. He says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. But just before this, in verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So which one is it, Jesus? Like in verse 15, you you said, "I I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. But then in verse 20, he seems to be calling himself the master of his followers again. And like, Which one? And welcome to the great that and this tension of the Christian life. 
Or as Pastor Ben told me this week, he uses this term dual realities. Like there's a dual reality here. Jesus is both our master. We are his servants. And this is clear throughout scripture. We are in submission to King Jesus. Our lives are to be lived in surrender to him, submission to him. Master, tell me what to do. However, we're not always great at doing what we're told. That's why he says, I call you friends. Come and receive my love. Come and receive my embrace. Come come and let your heart be captivated by me. Because when you love me, your obedience to my commands will follow. I'm not just your friend. We don't just hang out and chit-chat about life, though I am your friend. As your friend, I like you. I love you. I want to laugh with you. I want to cry with you. I want to eat with you. I want to walk through all your crap with you. That's what a good friend does. But I'm not just that. I'm also your master, which means I need your submission and your trust. And so your love and your obedience come together. And so we love and we obey, and this is the Christian tension that we have to embrace. If we don't spend time trying to recognize and embrace these tensions, we're going to be frustrated living in the world, but not of the world. But if we can recognize and embrace that we are in the world, but not of the world, hopefully we're aware of the tensions And it minimizes the frustration, and we can embrace life as it comes. So church family, I want to invite you to just bask in his love, to receive from God this morning, to be reminded that he is both your master and your friend. And as your master and your friend, he invites you to the table. The table represents a place of communion, a place of friendship, a place of long, lingering meals. But then the elements at the table... The cracker represents his body given for you. This friendly activity of coming to a table and eating. But the element, his body given up on a cross, the one who was hated by a world that he loved. And then you come to the cup and you take this, and this reminds you, this this was a glass of wine at the Passover meal, shared meal, enjoyment, around food and drink. And then Jesus takes us and he says, when you drink this, be reminded that it is symbolistic of my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. I'm your friend, I'm your master, and in me is a new birth. Come and embrace his love. Receive his love so that you can embrace the tension that comes with living for his love, being in the world but not of the world. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for you. We thank you for who you are, that you lived the life that we're incapable of, di- of living and died a sinner's death in our place on our behalf, and that you overcame sin and death in the grave and gave us the Holy Spirit that we might live more and more increasingly like you in the world, but not of it. Nourish us now with this meal, we pray. Amen. <clears throat>